Whoa! Breaking news! Oh, really? Carson Wentz. The Indianapolis Colts have agreed to trade Carson Wentz to the Washington Commanders. QBR, touchdown, and yards. He's a top 15 quarterback. Washington is taking on the full contract due. The whispers about him have been he's not really a great teammate. Not surprised that he's going only after a season the Colts. This is another opportunity where the expectations aren't going to be that high. ESPN Radio. The quarterback carousel keeps spinning here on ESPN Radio. It's Amber Wilson and Chris Candy also on E+. We are presented by Progressive Insurance. Get at us on Twitter at AmberW790, at ChrisCandy99, and also get in touch with us on the Candy call-in line, 888-SAY-ESPN, that's 888-729-3776. The Indianapolis Colts have agreed to trade quarterback Carson Wentz to the Washington Commanders. The two teams will swap second-round picks this year. The Commanders will send a third-round pick in 2022 to the Colts, as well as a third-round pick in 2023 that can convert to a second-round pick if Carson Wentz takes 70% of the snaps for the Washington Commanders in 2022. And, Amber, the lead attorney for the Carson Wentz defense team, that being ESPN NFL analyst Dan Orlovsky, tries to give some insight as to what the Colts' opportunity was supposed to mean for Carson Wentz's career. Take a listen. It's got to be in many ways shocking to him, staggering to him that this – kind of happened whether the writing was on the wall or not that they actually moved on from him because going back to Frank Reich and in that system and in that coach that he has such a great relationship with in many ways was supposed to revitalize the career and I think Laura in some moments it did in some moments it did we saw an on the field performance last year that for a 12-week stretch was pretty darn good we've talked about the numbers from week I think four week five to week 16 He was top five in the NFL when it came to QBR. So Carson's got to look at this situation and go on the field. How can he, six years into his career, become that more consistent player that we saw for that three-month stretch last year? Can he do that? I don't think he can, Amber. I think Carson Wentz is fighting for his mortality, his NFL mortality as a starting quarterback. I, I, I think this is going to be the last team that decides that they're going to hand Carson Wentz an opportunity to beat QB1. And I'm not necessarily sold that the Washington Commanders expect that Carson Wentz is going to be QB1 for the foreseeable future. I think he's a bridge. He's a stopgap quarterback. And he's going to be the guy that gets the Washington Commanders to the other side of their future at the quarterback position because I don't believe that Carson Wentz is the answer long term. Now, I don't think either of us are holding out hope that Carson Wentz can be 2017 Carson Wentz ever no. again, right? At this point, after six years of an NFL career, it feels like that was the anomaly season. But if he was, Chris, in some crazy world, to be a little closer to that, because again, like Dan mentioned, there were times this season where Carson Wentz played very well for weeks and weeks and weeks on end. So if he was able to come anywhere near those 2017 numbers and performances, then the commanders aren't going to move on from him, right? Which is why they're taking him. Because yes, I agree with you. I think he's a bit of a stopgap for them where they are, okay, we'll trade away a couple thirds for Carson Wentz. We have somebody in place for now. He's an upgrade from Heineke and from our current situation, but we are going to still look forward to the future. In the meantime, if Carson Wentz ends up working out and they hit on him 
great. But they aren't also giving up a ton. This isn't like the Colts situation where now they're having to make up for all this draft capital that they gave up for Carson Wentz. Amber, I I just, I don't know. I want to go back to Mike Wells because he talked a little bit about Carson Wentz and what went wrong in in Indianapolis. The one thing that he did point out in, in, in his breakdown was when he said that Carson Wentz had the benefit of an MVP candidate in the backfield in Jonathan Taylor. And when teams and defenses around the National Football League started to key in on Jonathan Taylor, they put more pressure on Carson Wentz to go out there and try to win them games. And in those situations, Carson Wentz came up real small. So we say that he played well for stretches of the season, and I would point to this team being 27th when it came to pass attempts in the National Football League last year. There weren't a whole lot of opportunities for Carson Wentz to mess it up, and yet you're still talking about somebody that had, what, 12 turnovers? I don't know that Carson Wentz is a guy that's going to be able to elevate the talent level around him. I don't know if he's going to be a player that could step in and produce at the level that the compensation going back to Indy would suggest that Washington believes. And so, yeah, I'm down on Carson Wentz. I haven't seen any evidence in the past couple of years to make me believe that we can see more consistency in his game, that we can see more glimpses of the guy that we saw in 2017. I just don't think that's who he is as a player, and it's time for us to start accepting that. I mean, does it help my case at all if I'm taking their Dan Orlovsky side of things? Which again, why do I keep finding myself in this situation today? That's a bad I never place knew to I was. Be. That's a I bad never knew I was be. such a Carson Wentz apologist here. But yeah. uh, if I was trying to bolster my argument, does it help my argument in your eyes at all? If I tell you that this was what just the third season he played at least 16 games in the NFL? I mean, we talk about him like yes, he's six years into his NFL career, but he has missed a ton of time in his NFL career and it has been very hard for him to find any semblance of consistency this ain't gonna help the Colts only giving him one season and like you said during that season it was the honest wasn't even always on him and so he didn't always have the opportunities either to go out there and, and show out which happens when you're relying on your running game because it happens to be or probably maybe, the best or running maybe game Frank in the NFL. Wright knows something that we don't know maybe I don't want to give him too many opportunities to mess it up or maybe because Frank we, Wright we, knows we, that we Jonathan did. Taylor's that amazing I mean well, that's uh, well, that, if I'm Dan I, think, I think that's a big part of it, but I mean, you can't make the claim, well, he's got no weapons and then he's got an MVP candidate in the backfield. Which one is it? And so I guess that's where I'm coming from. But let's listen to what Dan Orlovsky says about what's on the horizon for Carson Wentz and his future with the Washington Commanders. The reality for Carson Wentz is he's got one season to save his career as a starting quarterback in the NFL now. Now that this trade has happened and the Colts have decided to move on from him, I think that this season coming for the Washington Commanders and him, it's the opportunity for him to save his career as a starter. So, Amber, i got to ask you this question. What does the season have to look like for Carson Wentz in order to prove to Washington or to some other team around the National Football League that he deserves to be a starter in 2023? Well, we've talked about his numbers not being that bad, the 27 and 7 ratio, the, you know, almost 4,000 yards. So his numbers aren't that bad from his time in Indy. He's got to go beyond the numbers, though. He has to actually make the playoffs. He has to actually have success where it counts. That's something that he was not able to do in Indianapolis. That's what he's going to have to do in Washington. So it's not going to be just about what he does on paper, but it's going to be about getting them into the playoffs. If he's in a must-win situation again, like he was against the Raiders and the 
Jaguars. Those are games this time that you have to win in order to not just save the teams in hopes of, of the postseason, but in order to save your career as a starter in the NFL. Well, here, here the Washington Commanders back in 2020, made they made it to the playoffs. They made it to the playoffs with the combination of quarterbacks that was Alex Smith, Dwayne Haskins, Kyle Allen, and then, of course, Taylor Heineke we saw in the actual playoff game. So it seems like Carson, from a physical tools perspective, is head and shoulders above all of the guys that Ron Rivera had to work with that season. And with the pieces that Washington has in place on the offensive end with Terry McLaurin and Logan Thomas and Antonio Gibson and then the defensive front seven that they're bringing to the party, the opportunity does set itself up for Carson Wentz to be able to go out there and make this a playoff caliber team. The question becomes, is he going to be able to compete in the NFC East where they had two teams make the postseason in the Dallas Cowboys and the Philadelphia Eagles? That part about it is fascinating to me because the guy that succeeded him in Philadelphia, Jalen Hurts, in year one as a full-time starter, took the Eagles to the playoffs, and they're going to continue to fortify that roster around him, buoyed by three first-round draft picks in, in April uh, of this year's draft. So it's just it's this is one of those curious situations. Like the, the bar is there for Carson Wentz in terms of what he actually has to get done in order to make the Washington Commanders right with the decision that they made today. Carson Wentz's career has gone from MVP to conversation to now this, where he's getting traded away after just one season with the Indianapolis Colts. But it's not all bad for Carson Wentz because, to your point, Chris, he's in a good situation in Washington. Like, he has an opportunity here that is a good commander's team if, in fact, they have a quarterback and he is an upgrade compared to all those other names that you listed that have been part of the commanders the last couple of years. That's a fair point. So we'll have more on that a little bit later up in the show. But coming up next, what's next for the Packers after they re-sign Aaron Rodgers and they tag Devontae Adams? Amber Wilson and I will get into it. You're listening to ESPN Radio. Aaron Rodgers is staying in Green Bay. Jordan Love is kind of a casualty in all of this. Look, look Love. You can hold this clipboard. I mean, essentially, Jordan Love's career in Green Bay is over. ESPN Radio. Aaron Rodgers is staying in Green Bay. It would be that he would likely finish his career there, which he always said he wanted to do. He is staying in Green Bay. Does really set a tone now for the offseason in the NFL. Aaron Rodgers is a generational talent, and if you can keep him locked up at a high elite level for longer than you thought, that's a good thing. They're going to start cutting prices, and they're going to start cutting players. That's what they're going to start doing. She is Amber Wilson, and I am Chris Canny. This is ESPN Radio, also on E+. We're presented by Progressive Insurance. Get at us on the Canny call-in line, 888-ESPN. That's 888-729-3776. Amber and I are talking about what's next for the Green Bay Packers now that they seem like they got Aaron Rodgers back in the fold. I'm sure they're going to be announcing a contract extension for him soon here, Amber. I also anticipate them announcing a contract extension for Devontae Adams because I can't imagine that he'd be happy playing 2022 on the franchise tag. 
I'm surprised that it's taking this long for us to get all of that information, frankly. I mean, we had the reports of what Aaron Rodgers' contract is expected to be, like a $200 million type of number. With and we all, $53 million guaranteed. I mean, that's the component of that that I am waiting to see if that's the <laughs> truth because that is, that is incredible if that's true, that guaranteed money. Aaron Rodgers, of course, came out himself on Twitter, denied that report, denied that he's actually even signed a deal, which is Just like strange. he denied that he wanted to be the highest paid player player in the NFL, right? He's just going to happen to be the highest paid, Chris. I didn't want to be. They just wanted to hand me $50 million a pop. That just happens to be the highest. Gotcha. I wish somebody would happen to just want to hand me $50 million a year on a contract. Damn. That's neither here nor there, but Devontae Adams seems like he's poised to reset the receiver market. Right now, on average annual value, Nuke Hopkins is top dog at $27.25 million a year, so we would expect that if a deal gets done long-term with Devontae in Green Bay that he is going to be the highest paid receiver, no? Those negotiations aren't going well, right? Like, that's the whole reason we got to the point of the tag. Because at some point, they've obviously were negotiating with Aaron Rodgers for weeks. And I kept saying, if they're negotiating, then you're probably pretty confident, if you're Green Bay, that Aaron Rodgers is coming back because he's bothering to trade numbers with you. What's the purpose of the negotiations if he's not coming back? So if you had some sense of that, you're bringing that to Devontae Adams. You're having those conversations anyways, frankly, with Devontae Adams. But particularly, if you know Aaron Rodgers is coming back, the fact that they had to tag him and they waited till the final last second. They waited till not just D day, but D hour for us to get the news that they tagged him. Isn't that a sign, Chris, that those negotiations haven't been going particularly well between Devonte Adams and the Packers? No, you're probably right because Devonte is asking for something that's going to make the green Bay backers plush, but I don't think they have any choice because they're at the mercy of Aaron Rodgers. right? They've essentially turned over their franchise since last summer to Aaron Rodgers in an effort to make sure that he's happy. When it came to making a concession on the length of his contract, they did that. They backed him with the whole immunized scandal. They traded for Randall Cobb. They brought in Tom Clements, his former quarterback coach, out of retirement. I mean, you're talking about them pretty much acquiescing at every turn to whatever Aaron Rodgers wants. And so it just seems like it's a formality in terms of Devontae Adams getting paid what he expects to get paid, and I expect that dollar figure to be somewhere in the $28, $29 million a year range, and you're probably talking about him sticking around for the life of Aaron Rodgers' contract extension. But that means that there's some slicing and dicing that has to happen on Green Bay's roster because there are guys like Preston Smith and Zadarius Smith both of whom have cap numbers that are 20-plus million dollars a year. You've also got to look at what you want to do with safety Adrian Amos. Right tackle Billy Turner is also a guy that they could have some cap savings on. I mean, Mason Crosby, you're going to have to address his contract as well. There are a lot of guys that Green Bay has to look at and determine what they want to do in terms of restructuring a deal or potentially releasing those guys and trying to find somebody that can give them similar production at a lower cost. Well, that's why this started with Aaron Rodgers and Devontae Adams. Because the way, even though those deals are going to be huge, like you said, numbers-wise, and listen, the best players at their position get paid the best, right? You're you're going to demand a high price tag, and they're going to pay it, not just because Aaron Rodgers has a lot of control now. Like you said, the front office has been over backwards to make him happy. But the mere presence of a quarterback who's as great as Aaron Rodgers, still at the top of his game, winning back-to-back MVPs, but who's in his late 30s, his mere presence is a win-now kind of presence. So if of course, you can't take away his favorite target in Devontae Adams. You've got to maintain that. This is your window. That Aaron Rodgers contract is going to look very 
ugly in his 40s. We're not worried about that right now for the Green Bay Packers. We're trying to win a Super Bowl right now. This is our window, so we got to keep all the pieces that we can, but that starts with Aaron Rodgers, and that starts with Devontae Adams, and structuring those deals, even though they'll be very very large numbers-wise, structuring those back-end heavy. So yes, they'll look awful in four years, probably, unless Aaron Rodgers is on that TB12, and I don't know, he's still playing like this then, but it's going to look ugly then. The cap hit's going to be uh, more reasonable now, and that's the Point so that you could structure both of those guys and, and Adams is part of that conversation. So the cap hit is such where you can sign some of those other pieces and maintain the status quo from last season. So Amber, with all the moving parts, is the pressure now on general manager Brian Gutekunst in order to make this all work? The fact that he's got Aaron Rodgers' decision and that Devontae Adams seems poised to stay in Green Bay. Is the pressure now on Brian Gutekunst? Is it on Matt LaFleur or is it on Aaron Rodgers? Who has the most pressure to make this a success in Green Bay and deliver a championship? I think Gutekunst already did his job. Like you talking Aaron Rodgers into staying and maintaining that position uh, and that domino, like that was your biggest goal as Gutekunst. And so he's already done his job. That front office has already done its job. I think Matt LaFleur now has a lot of pressure on him because you can't have a quarterback playing at the level he's playing at and Aaron Rodgers. Rodgers and winning MVPs out here every season and not be also winning Super Bowls. A lot of people want to knock Aaron Rodgers for that, and certainly he deserves some of that because of how he performs in the playoffs when it matters most. But also that game plan has to get some of that as well, some of that heat as well. So I think that there is a lot of pressure on a Matt LaFleur of winning a Super Bowl when you have a quarterback at the helm like Aaron Rodgers. Here's where I struggle with that, Amber. I mean, you're talking about a head coach that has amassed 39 wins in his first three seasons as a head coach in the National Football League and working for the Green Bay Packers. You're talking about a coach that has taken his team to -to back-to-back NFC championship games and got this team the number one seed in the NFC um, for a second consecutive year and also put together game plans offensively that allowed Aaron Rodgers to be you know, playing at an MVP level and win MVPs in back-to-back seasons. I don't know how much pressure is on Matt LaFleur? And if I'm working backwards on this thing, if Green Bay falls short of expectations yet again, I don't know that people are going to be pointing the finger at Matt LaFleur as much as they're going to be pointing to Aaron Rodgers as to the reason why the Packers can't get over the hump. I I get that he's the head coach, and so he's going to bear some responsibility in all of it. But I think by far the focus and the energy and the vitriol, if we ever get to that point, will be directed at Aaron Rodgers for being one of the highest-paid players in the National Football League and being somebody that has been touted as being the best quarterback for so long, not being able to find a way to get back to the big game. We'll have more on the Green Bay situation as well as all the other moving parts on the quarterback carousel. But coming up next, since my key card doesn't work at 1925 Giants Drive, we'll talk to somebody who still has access to the building on the latest with Big Blue. You're listening to Amber Wilson and Chris Canney, ESPN Radio. ESPN Radio. Turn behind Josh Allen. Believes he's going to be a different guy, more instinctive, more athletic, running around making plays. There's going to be a sneaky big market for this guy. If you remember a couple weeks ago when we were talking about this, I said he will sign a two-year, 20-something million dollar guaranteed deal. You're in Buffalo behind Josh Allen, Ryan Dable, how they've orchestrated him. Seeing what's happened in Chicago with their quarterbacks makes you think about Mitch Trubisky differently now. 
You're listening to ESPN Radio on the ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80 and E+. Amber Wilson and Chris Candy, we're presented by Progressive Insurance. Tap in on the Candy call-in line, 888-ESPN, that's 888-729-3776. Jason in Texas, we see you. We're going to get to you really soon. But first, we got to go out to the hotline and bring on ESPN New York Giants reporter Jordan Renan. And Jordan... We've got the reports out there that the Giants are expected to make a run at Mitch Trubisky in free agency. We know the obvious ties that Trubisky has to the new regime for the New York Giants. But what are going to be the expectations for Mitch Trubisky if Brian Dayball and Joe Shane are able to land that plane in free agency? Well, first, let me say it's a big if, right? There's a lot of factors that go into it. You know, will, specifically, money and opportunity. Will this be the best? opportunity for Mitchell Trubisky to play because he comes in and now you're looking at it as, okay, he's got to go compete with Daniel Jones. When they line up in minicamp, OTAs, whatever, that first snap is going to probably go to Daniel Jones. So maybe Trubisky would be quarterback 1B, but he's not going to instantly be signed and, and you know, thrust to, you know, uh, as basically the starting quarterback for the time being at the very least. Which, if he goes to some other places, you know, the New Orleans, uh, probably Pittsburgh, Indianapolis, any of these places that have Seattle that have openings right now, if he signed there, he would likely be the starter for the time being, where you, you can't say that with the Giants. So, Jordan, on your uh, article on the .com, you say that it would kind of come down to, if this was to happen, who would be the best quarterback in spring in summer. So it seems like the Giants mm-hmm. wouldn't pick up Daniel Jones' fifth-year option. Does that mean that you would expect this quarterback competition to only last through the summer and then they would trade away Daniel Jones if Mitchell Trubisky looked like the starter? No, I don't see that. If you watched what happened with the Giants last year when they didn't have a backup, I think they're trying to avoid that situation. The Giants averaged less than 10 points per game and were pretty much offensively impotent when Daniel Jones was out. And it was really bad and really borderline embarrassing. Uh, So I really think they're just trying to make sure that they have two quality quarterbacks this year. And also, you can't be naive to the fact that let's say Daniel Jones is their starting quarterback. Daniel Jones has missed time. He has missed games in every year of his career so far. So you need to have two quarterbacks on this roster. And I think it's actually becoming more important now that it's a 17-game season in general. So I believe that the plan would be to carry both quarterbacks throughout the season and see where it goes from there. Talking with ESPN New York Giants reporter Jordan Renan on ESPN Radio. And Jordan, the Giants' interest in Mitch Trubisky seems like a bit of a hedge against Daniel Jones not being their future franchise quarterback, if in fact that is the case. Could you see a world where the Giants consider trading down with one of those top 10 picks in order to acquire more draft capital for the 2023 NFL draft? Absolutely. I think that's in the realm of possibilities. A lot easier said than done, right? Because everybody would like to move and collect more draft capital and move down, especially in this year's draft. The problem is, Last year, they were able to do it, right? They had, I believe, it was the 10th pick, or, and they were able to trade with Chicago and move down and get a first-round pick this year, right? That's where they got the number seven pick this year. Mm-hmm. But that's because there were quarterbacks in last year's draft that people wanted. Chicago wanted Justin Fields. He's available. They move up. Does that quarterback even really exist in this year's draft? There's a lot of debate on that. There's, there's, 
at least from the rhetoric in Indianapolis last week, you don't get the vibe that teams are, you know, uh, fawning over the quarterbacks in this year's draft. So a lot easier said than done. But the Giants need to make sure no matter what happens this year, they position themselves very well for next year in the possibility because, look, if you don't know about Daniel Jones and you don't pick up his fifth-year option, you have no idea, even, even if you sign Mitchell Trubisky, you then have to plan for, okay, what if neither of these guys are it? What do we do next year? So you better have capital. You better have flexibility to be able to make that move in order to solidify what is the, the most important position on a football team. You mentioned, Jordan, that there's going to be other suitors for Mitchell Trubisky and that he may opt to not go to the Giants by his own volition and go somewhere else and actually be a starting quarterback right away. Is it crazy Mm -hmm. that I'm a little surprised that he is so coveted right now? I mean, is that just because he stood next to Josh Allen last season or is that where the quarterback market (laughs) is? Uh, I think it's probably a combination, but it's one of those things also, you know, out of sight, out of mind. So he, he kind of, uh, you know, you, you kind of forget some of the warts, maybe, for the fact that he didn't play at all last year. And uh, but, but when you're talking about the Giants specifically, you also have to say, well, Joe Shane and Brian Dable did see him, and they are impressed by him to the point where they're they are interested in him. So they saw enough, at least on in practice and on the side, to hey, you know, this is a guy that we would like on our team. But you know, I, I agree with you because think about this for a second. You have a guy now who's coveted to be a starter. He signed for one million, I mean one year, two and a half million dollars last year. And nothing changed. He's not a different player. He's that same player that last year nobody really wanted. And now they want him as a starter. I, I mean, it's worth the crapshoot for the for a team like the Giants in their situation, but if you're gonna go in there and plug him in as a starter, I would be a little wary about that personally. Talking with ESPN New York Giants reporter Jordan Renan on ESPN Radio. And Jordan, last one from me. The Giants are still over the cap, and the new league year is right around the corner. Veteran James Bradbury, his name has been floated as somebody that the Giants would consider trading or potentially releasing in order to get under the salary cap threshold. Where are we at with James Bradbury, and what does his future look like? Yeah, I'd say his future is uncertain. At best, they have to do something serious to alter his contract. I mean, like you said, the Giants are over the cap. He's counting 20-plus million versus the cap right now. Uh, Something has to give. They have to create money somewhere. Uh, James Bradbury is near the top of the list. Uh, Restructuring Blake Martinez and Sterling Shepard also near the top of the list. On the list but not near the top is also – you know, potentially trading Saquon Barkley. So all these things, still possibilities. The Giants are going to have to find find the right combination, and near the top of that list is trading James Bradbury. Uh, And I I think that from talking to people in Indianapolis, there is a market for him. There are teams that could use him. uh, And his number cap number for the uh, other teams wouldn't be that $21.8 million. It would be significantly less. Uh, So they would be able to then it's, it's what, $13.5 million. That's a big difference for another team. So, oh, James Bradbury for $13.5 million is a lot different than James Bradbury costing $21.8 million against the cap. So there, there should be a suitor for him, and I think we're going to get solutions to these uh, you know, problems that the Giants have in regards to money 
you know, within the next you know, three or four days for sure before free agency begins. Well, Jordan, thanks for getting us up to speed on what's going on with Big Blue, and I'll talk to you soon, my friend. All right. I mean, as, as uh, it's not going to be that busy, Chris, promise you. As one, <laughs> as one Giants person told me, they said, you know, I could pretty much take the month of March off. It's, uh, they're, they're, they're not going to be overly active in free agency this year. Gotcha. Well, that means that they're focusing their attention on the draft as they should be based on where that program is at. That is ESPN New York Giants reporter Jordan Renan jumping on with us on ESPN Radio. Coming up next, your calls and Todd McShay releasing his newest mock draft. Should a safety really go in the top five? Amber and I will chime in on that. This is ESPN Radio. ESPN Radio. You're listening to Amber Wilson and Chris Canning on ESPN Radio. And Amber, it's official. The Seattle Seahawks have released all-pro linebacker Bobby Wagner. This from General Manager John Snyder. And I quote, this is an extremely difficult day for the organization. Bobby has been at the center of our defense for the past 10 seasons and always represented our organization with class. He is a special player and person, and we are forever grateful. Bobby will always be a Hawk. Now, it sounds good to say all of that, but I think what sounded even better to John Snyder is saving $16.6 million against his salary cap, and this comes on the heels of the Seattle Seahawks trading Russell Wilson to the Denver Broncos on Tuesday. And so i got to ask you, what does all of this mean for the Seattle Seahawks in terms of where they're at with program building? Well, it means that it's the end of an era in Seattle. And why not do the, make this move and save the space? Because you're in fire sale mode, right, at this point, Chris. Like, you are in total rebuild mode. You get rid of Russell Wilson. Bobby Wagner was in that same 2012 draft as Russell Wilson. There's only one guy left now on their entire team from 2013 when they won the Super Bowl. So they are in a complete rebuild mode in Seattle. And that's what you do is you save the cap space. And, you, you know, it, it's the most important component of this. Now, I think what's interesting about this is where Bobby Wagner goes, because it's also a good move for Bobby Wagner, right? Like, why aren't you, you're not going to want to be there anymore without Russell Wilson when they're going through a full rebuild when you're a vet and you've been in the league for 10 years. You're going to be incredibly coveted as well on an open market, and you're going to take your pick here of where you want to go. So I feel like it's a good news for Bobby Wagner. Where do you see him going in the future? I think the Denver Broncos seems like a good fit for him. I, I, I can see him following his teammate Russell Wilson to the AFC West, and the reason being the Denver Broncos are top 10 when it comes to salary cap space, and both of their inside linebackers are unrestricted free agents. So it's clearly a position of need, and we know when it comes to the identity of that team, they're going to be led by their defense. Now, that could shift with Russell Wilson's arrival, but you're talking about a top 10 defense when it comes to yards and a top five defense when it comes to points from a season ago. And Bobby Wagner will represent a clear upgrade in the middle of that group. So I love the idea of Bobby Wagner being able to go over there. They've got over $26 million in cap space. So seems like they would have the money to be able to fit his salary um, in there comfortably with room to be able to still operate in free agency. It just seems like it makes sense given the identity of this team being on the defensive side of the ball. I love the fit of Bobby Wagner going off to the AFC West. ESPN Radio. Amber Wilson and Chris Canning on ESPN Radio and E+. We are presented by Progressive Insurance. Get at us on Twitter at AmberW790 at ChrisCanning99. Also tap in on the Canning call-in line, 888-ESPN. That's 888-729-3776. We'll get to Todd McShay's latest mock draft, but first, 
We got to go out to the call-in line and bring on Matt in Indy. Matt, what up? Hey, what's up, CC? Man, thanks for taking the call. Um, Real quick, though. So with Carson going to Washington, my first thing I'm wondering is why we didn't try to get Fitz or maybe Taylor Heineke. In that same vein, uh, one, what's your thoughts on maybe trying to get that back? And two, is it a more about having a master plan like Amber alluded to, or is it something we're going to ride it out with Sam Ellinger? Um, just want to hear your thoughts on really what's going on. Let me tell you what you're not going to do is ride it out with Sam Ellinger. He's not your guy. Neither is James Morgan. He, he, he's not. Now, Ryan Fitzpatrick is a free agent, so you wouldn't have to include him in the trade. He's going to be available, but he also is 40 years old. And it doesn't sound like general manager Chris Ballard wants to go in that direction in terms of the quarterback position. He wants a guy that's going to be there for the next 10 to 12 years, and that is not Ryan Fitzpatrick. Quite frankly, Amber, I don't think that's Jimmy Garoppolo either. So you're looking at the younger options that are going to be available in free agency Guys like Jameis Winston, guys like Mitch Trubisky, Tyler Huntley from the Baltimore Ravens, those will be the guys that you would look at. And then maybe you consider, um, you know, an option in the draft, although I'm not quite sure that that's the direction that this team is ready to go in given the state of this roster because it feels like a team that's a quarterback away from being able to compete for a playoff spot. Well, I think one of the reasons that you would include like a Heineke in that deal also would be from the commander's perspective. Carson Wentz is a quarterback who's been known to have durability issues, right? So you do need a viable backup there in Washington. So that would have been one of the reasons. But I'm with you. I don't think the Colts were interested. I think the Colts are interested in looking elsewhere for a quarterback, which is why I don't think you see the inclusion of any of those parts in this trade beyond Carson Wentz. Nothing's going back in terms of that to the Colts. They don't need it. They do have, in my opinion, they have some other sort of plan, but even if their plan was to punt and try to use draft capital in a year, uh, in the meantime, they would find somebody else to hold that place. I, I agree with you. It's not going to be Ellinger, though, or at least that's not going to be the only answer for them at that position. No, I will say this, though, Amber. The more and more I think about it, the more your working theory makes sense. Jordan Love to the Indianapolis Colts. If you're the Green Bay Packers, being able to flip Jordan Love for an asset that can turn into a player that would help Aaron Rodgers over the life of his new contract extension makes all the sense in the world because, let's face it, Jordan Love is not going to be your quarterback. He's not going to be in Green Bay's long-term plan for quarterback. Aaron Rodgers is taking care of that. So now it's about trying to get what you can in return for him. The question then becomes, has Green Bay done irreparable damage in terms of what they could command for Jordan Love, what the market for that player would be? But when you look around the league, there are quarterback-starved teams, the Indianapolis Colts included. Let's go out to Chase in Colorado. Chase, you're on ESPN Radio. What up? Hey, how are you gentlemen doing? We're doing good, Chase. What you got for us? Hey, I was. I uh, heard you guys talking about the, uh, you know, I'm a Broncos fan. I heard you guys talking about the, the Wilson trade, which I'm pretty ecstatic about. I was uh, curious about your take on, I heard Shannon Sharp say, uh, you know, S them picks. <laughs> I don't know if you saw that. Um, but I was just curious what you guys thought in terms of the repercussions, you know, because this is really similar to, you know, kind of what we gave up for Peyton Manning and, uh, you know, just having trash quarterbacks for the longest time. But 
Uh, I was just curious what you thought about the repercussions, you know. Well, Chase, Chase, here's the thing. I don't think there are any repercussions. I mean, you've got a lot longer runway with Russell Wilson than when you got Peyton Manning, the stage of his career that he was at. Keep it in mind, Peyton in 2013 was coming off of that neck surgery, wasn't he? So, I mean, yeah. you know, that that's that's the that's where Peyton Manning was. So, you didn't know what version of Peyton you were going to get, but you knew this was going to be a good time, but not a long time. With Russell Wilson, he's 33 years old. And this is a guy that has expressed that he wants to play until he's 45. So, you've got a pretty, pretty long runway when it comes to your quarterback. And you would expect, as we've seen quarterbacks play at a high level into their th- late 30s. I mean, Aaron Rodgers, back-to-back MVPs in his late 30s that Russell Wilson, with the requisite supporting cast, would be able to give you similar production. And quite frankly, you're going to need it in that division because they are loaded at quarterback in the AFC West. You got Justin Herbert, you got Pat Mahomes, and you got Derek Carr. John Elway and George Patton recognize it's an arms race, and they had to ante up with Russell Wilson. I think it's a great move, and quite frankly – I don't think you were in a position where you could give up too much in order to get a quarterback like Russell Wilson with that team they have in place. I guess the concern here is, uh, I guess, twofold, right? I mean, it's pretty inconceivable that they wouldn't be able to work out an extension with him. He's still got a couple years left on his deal. That's probably going to come maybe in a year because of the ownership issues there with the Broncos. So I could see them waiting for new ownership to come in before they work out an extension with Russell Wilson. I guess if they don't get an extension with him, then then you would have given up way too much. But assuming he's your quarterback in the long run, the other concern would be the last couple years that we saw from Russell Wilson and some of that was impacted, of course, by injury. Is he the same player that he was four years ago? You could make the argument that maybe there are some actual concerns there, but to Canty's point, you're talking about a quarterback who's still in his early 30s, and as much as he's been a vet and as much as he's accomplished in the league and he's got a Super Bowl to show for it, he's still a relatively young player with a shelf life now of quarterback. So if, in fact, he does look good in a Broncos uniform and look healthy, then you are talking about a player who could give you an another 10 years. Amber, I will say this. I mean, we're really not talking about the last couple of years. We're talking about last year. Because if you go back to 2020, Russell Wilson threw for 40 touchdowns to 13 interceptions, 68.8 completion percentage, and 4,200 yards. So it's really not about it's really not about the last couple of years. It's about what we saw last year and him missing games due to injury and the style of play. But Russell Wilson is an absolute monster. Last year, after a decade in the National Football League, was his first losing season and his second season being out of the playoffs. If you're the Denver Broncos, you'd kill to have that kind of consistency for your program and also for your quarterback. So it seems like it just makes sense to uh, to roll with Russell Wilson. But coming up next, with Aaron Rodgers back in Green Bay and Russ in Denver, who is now the best quarterback available this offseason?